Good morning. Welcome. It's nice to see everybody. Um, I'm excited to be teaching today. I'm excited that we're going through the Gospel of John. When I first got saved, that was actually one of the first books that I was uh, told to read. I had somebody that helped disciple me. And what I've learned is um, it's kind of like an onion. There's layers, right? So it seems like it would be so easy, but there's so much depth. And even as we've been going through these stories about Nicodemus and the, uh, the woman at the, uh, the well in Samaria, um, uh, we're still, the Bible's amazing like that, able to learn new truths and new depths. And sometimes it's old truths that we just didn't get in our hard heads the first time, right? And we can keep over and over getting it in. And maybe it's like I remember my mom used to tell me, uh, about vitamins, and she was really into health, and she always told me um, uh, about all these vitamins. And when I got in school, I started learning about some of them, and I'm like, we should be taking this. And she's like, I've been telling you that for like 20 years. And it's like, I know, but it was different this time. And we finally, we finally get it. So I, w- I want to start today with uh, something different. I want to actually, so before you get uncomfortable, because you hear what I say, I say different. Um, I, I want to start by reading a verse together. And it's not actually from John, but I think the story in John that we're going to talk about, um, this really captures the essence of that, that story, this verse. And it's a familiar verse. Would you put up Ephesians 3.20? And so we're going to read this together. We're going to read it out loud. Now, I, do, in, I don't know in Kidstown if they still do Bible bucks for participation and stuff. Do they? Okay, right. So you guys don't get a Bible buck, but if you participate, I have, I have donuts and coffee for you outside. And if you don't participate, I have the ushers watching right now. And if you try to grab one, you will be tackled. So let's, let's do this loud and proud. We're going to read Ephesians 3.20. Ready? Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Okay, that, that line there where it says, to him to is able, that's the, the title of my message today is Jesus is able. Because God is able. Able to do what? Does it matter? He's able to do everything. God can do anything. God is able. And I think the story today we're going to see um, really captures that, that, that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. Um, So let's go ahead. We're going to dive in. Let me pray first. Lord, we thank you, God, for your grace, for your mercy, Lord. I pray that as we open uh, the scriptures today, Lord, that uh, you would open our hearts. You'd open our minds, Lord. We don't want just information, Lord. We want transformation to take place, Lord. So use uh, your word today to grow us into the men and women of God you've called us to be. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so in verse 43, Pastor Joe left off last week in verse 42 of John, we're in John chapter 4, and we're going to pick up right where he left off in verse 43, and it says, now after two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee. So this is after two days um, of Jesus and his disciples staying in Samaria, and just start right off the bat by asking a question, how do you think they felt about that? I mean, there, yeah, and we talked about the hostility between the Samaritans and the Jews. And here, these people, these disciples, we forget that they had families. They had 
you know, brothers and sisters and some of them, you know, kids and, and wives and, and all kinds of family. And um, they start, they leave it all to follow Jesus. And then now they're kind of going back home after spending two days in Samaria. What do you think their friends and family would think? You know, Samaria was kind of off limits. Not only did they go through Samaria, they stayed there. They stayed overnight. They hung out. They probably stayed at somebody's house. Could you imagine going back and then, you know, your brother's like, hey, what, what'd you do? Where'd you, get, where'd you guys go? We were in Samaria. What? You lost your mind? Well, you were only there for a second, right? No, we stayed the night. What? They were, they're, Jesus is breaking some molds. Um, sometimes Jesus, here's my point. Following Jesus can make you a little uncomfortable. Jesus is not the, 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 the least bit concerned about your comfort zone. And he wants to expand it. I'm reminded of uh, in the TV series, The, the, the Chosen, we started uh, watching that, me and my family. And I, I think I kind of ruined it. We only finished, I think, the first season because every single time that there would be something, and I, I enjoyed it, and it was, it, was, it was good, but every time there's something that would come up, I'd pause it and go, okay, well, this isn't in the Bible, really. They didn't really say that. And they're like, Dad, just stop it. Just stop it. So I ruined it for my kids. That's probably why we only made it through the first season. But some of the things in there um, was really good to visualize maybe possibly how some of the scenes uh, happened. But there was this scene where Matthew, the tax collector, was being called. And it's a great scene. And uh, uh, Jesus says, you know, uh, Matthew, come follow me. So he starts coming. And then the other disciples don't like it. And they, they say, I don't, I don't get it. And Jesus says, you didn't get it when I chose you either. And the disciples say, yeah, but this is different. I'm not a tax collector. And then I, I, I guess this line is on shirts for those who are really into the show. Jesus said, well, get used to different. Get used to different. And I think there's some people that have the shirts. And I didn't remember seeing somebody. I'm like, what's that? And they're like, have you seen the chosen? And it's like, get used to different. I think going through Samaria was different. And Jesus is breaking all these stereotypes and molds. And and I think the point here is if you're all in following Jesus, be prepared for some things to be different. And maybe for your comfort zone to get get stretched because he's not really worried about your comfort zone. In verse 44, Jesus himself had testified, it said, that a a prophet has no honor in his own country. So here Jesus refers to himself as a prophet, right? We are really familiar um, with Jesus as the son of God, because he is, as Jesus as Lord, because he's Lord of all, and he is. We're familiar with Jesus as the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, right? And he is, all those. But we, Jesus was also a prophet, a priest and a king. Those were the three main Old Testament offices and he fulfilled each of those in greater ways. And here he's referring to himself as a prophet. And what's interesting is this verse is in all the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's in the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, used differently though. And it seems he's, when he's in his hometown at Nazareth, if you remember that story, and I think it's in Luke 4 where he opens up the, the scroll of Isaiah and starts uh, reading. And then when he was done, they wanted to run him out of town. They wanted to kill him, throw him off a cliff, I think. And, and it, was, it, it didn't end well. And, and this verse was in that context that in his hometown, he didn't have the honor that he deserved. Sometimes it's hard to recognize greatness when it rises up amongst us, right? 
and, 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 and see it. And they were missing it. And they're like, isn't this, you know, the carpenter's son? And isn't, you know, isn't, we know his brothers and sisters. How is, you know, this guy doing these things and, and, and taking this position of power? So he uses it there when he's in Galilee. Now, Galilee, remember, would be Cana, where he did his first miracle, Capernaum, which was now like kind of where his headquarters was, and also Nazareth, where he grew up. But in John, he just left Judea, where Jerusalem and the temple is. He was going through Samaria, and he's going back home, and he told him, he's quoting this verse in a different way, which is interesting because John is thinking more theologically than geographically, if, if you want to think of it in those terms, because he technically, Jesus was born in Judea, Bethlehem of Judea. The temple is in Judea. He's a king from the line of David, right? That, the throne of David is his, Judea. The, the, this sense that it can also be his homeland or his hometown. A lot of people don't know this, but I was born in New York. Buffalo, New York, go Bills. I'm actually a Cowboys fan, but I, they're my second favorite team. But um, I, was, I was born in New York. So technically, I'm a New Yorker. I'm an East Coast guy. But for all practical purposes, my whole life, I've grown up here in California. So practically, I'm a West Coast guy. And I think that's kind of the same thing. Jesus was born in Judea, but he grew up in Galilee. And I think that's, uh, there's a difference here, but interesting. He, he is saying this, but the main point, we don't want to miss what's actually being said, is John actually told us back in chapter one that he came to his own and his own did not receive him, right? Isaiah said he was re- rejected and despised by men. And I think that's the thing here is Jesus was not received the way the son of God should be received, the way the Messiah should be received. Although there were some, there always is a remnant in people who, uh, no matter how uh, dark a situation looks, God always has a people of faith in there. And there are some that are responding. In verse 45, it says, So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that uh, in Jerusalem he did at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. It says the Galileans received him. So I'm going to ask a question. How did they receive him? They receive him as the Messiah, as the Son of God. Did they receive him as a great teacher, as a, as a miracle worker, as a prophet? There's a lot of ways to, let me do some air quotes, receive Jesus, right? Did you know the Muslims receive? Muslims receive Jesus as a great prophet, but they deny that he is God. Jehovah Witnesses receive Jesus. If you have a Jehovah Witness, they're if they believe in Jesus, they would say, yeah. But they deny that he's the son of God. They deny the Trinity. They actually think he's Michael, the archangel. So it's a, there's a lot of ways. We've got to be careful. Language is tricky, right? And when we say to somebody, do you want to receive Jesus? I, I know most of you in this room know because you've been studying the word of God. You know what you mean and what we, am I even saying that right? What, I, what you're trying to say but don't assume that the other person understands you on the other side. But let me just say something right off the bat. God can use sloppy evangelism because God can use anything. <laughs> He'll use it. But I'm just saying, let's do our best to not do that. Let me give you an example. Let's say, 
you've got a friend, I'm just going to go John. And you've got a friend named John. And you start telling me about John. John, how awesome John is. John is a loyal friend. He's trustworthy. He's loving and kind. You're telling me all these amazing things about John and how he's changed your life. His friendship has changed your life. And I'm like, wow, he sounds like an amazing guy. And then you lean over to me in that quiet moment and go, Scott, would you like to receive John? What the heck are you even talking about? (laughs) I have no idea what you're talking about. I go, I don't understand what you're saying. And then you go, well, let me say it a different way. Would you like to say yes to John? I'm like, what do you, I still don't get what, where you're going with this. By saying yes and receiving him, does that mean he's moving in my house? Is he going to borrow my car every Friday? Or we're, we're, I just pledged my daughter in marriage to him? What does it mean? Look, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying, I just, just, The point I'm trying to make is let's try to be as clear as possible when we're communicating with somebody the gospel, what it is that we're actually wanting them to believe. Because a lot of people believe, but they believe the wrong things. So we want people to believe that Jesus is divine. He's the son of God. We want people to believe that he's Lord, master of everything and we want people to believe that he's Savior. And the, the easiest sometimes that a Savior, everybody wants a Savior, not everybody wants a Lord. And in being able to communicate those things and communicate the gospel, that we want them to believe, right? Because that famous verse, if you confess with your mouth, what? Jesus is Lord. That means something, right? Because if you're confessing he's Lord, that's why it says, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's the gospel. So we want people to believe in the death burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, who's Lord of all, Son of God. However you work that out in your evangelism, that's between you and the person. But we want to try to make sure um, we hit some of those components when we're sharing because that's the truth and God will use it. Amen? Amen. So uh, in verse 46, we're going to now enter into this story about the noblemen and um, this is actually the second sign that uh, John, in John's writing, he is revealing these signs uh, that he did in Galilee. It's going to tell us later. But the first sign uh, was in Cana. We talked about that, where he, Jesus turned uh, water to wine. And now this second sign is the, the nobleman's son and the healing of his son. So let's pick that up in verse 46. It says... So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. So Jesus comes back in to Galilee, and he's in, he's in Cana. Remember, that would be Cana, uh, where he did the first miracle, Capernaum, which was his headquarters, and Nazareth, where he grew up. So he goes back into this region, this territory, and there's a nobleman that comes. Uh, if you're reading from a different version, like the ESV or something, it might say an official. Though in the Greek, there it literally is, could be like a royal official. So that's led some to think this might have been somebody from uh, the service of King Herod. Uh, possibly, we don't know for sure, but we know that this is some type of like royal official. And it says his son was sick, and we're gonna read later, he was at the point of death. 
So he made that journey from Capernaum, that's why I'm hitting these cities because it's going to make a difference here, to Cana. So depending on, I've read different commentaries, some people said 16 miles, I saw 19 miles. So I'm going to say, for the sake of argument, I'm just going to say it's about 20 miles, okay? So about a 20-mile journey from Capernaum to Cana to come to Jesus. And he needs a miracle. He needs a breakthrough. And I just want to pause and mention something right there that at this moment, I think John, the, the, the author of the Gospel of John, is doing something here. He's teaching us something, an, an important truth. And that truth is this Jesus is for all people. Jesus is for all people. Because remember, back in John chapter 1 and 2, Jesus comes to who? Some fishermen, right? John 3, we got Nicodemus. Jesus comes to a respected teacher of Israel. Chapter 4, he's going to this outcast Samaritan woman. And now we see him coming to a royal official, a nobleman. Jesus is for everybody. All ethnicities, all social classes, Jesus is for everybody. Jesus is not just for the noblemen, he's also for the fishermen. And he's not just uh, for the respected teacher, he's also for the outcast Samaritan. He's for everybody. Jesus is for all. And I think John is teaching us that. In Revelation chapter 7, this same John sees this amazing vision where it says, he saw a great multitude that no one could number. And I love this. It says, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the, the throne of the Lamb. Jesus is for all people. And um, I think John is, is, is teaching us that here. In verse 47, it says, when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So this uh, nobleman hears that Jesus is back in Galilee. World, word is traveling fast. Remember, he's probably in Capernaum because that's where his son is, probably where he lives. And he goes to Jesus, takes this journey, and when he gets there, it says he implored Jesus to come heal his son. Some versions there will say he begged Jesus because the, the, the verb tense there in the Greek means this is this ongoing action. He kept on asking. He wasn't like he just asked once. He kept asking. He implored him, or as the NIV says, he begged Jesus to come. There's a lesson there for us. Don't give up. Right? Don't, don't give up. That verse, that famous uh, verse in Matthew 7 where it says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. It's in that same verb tense where it's ongoing. And I know a lot of you already know this. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Jesus wants us to, it, it honors God when we keep coming to him, showing our dependence and, and recognizing that he's the one that has the power to grant our request and our miracle. So let me ask you a question. What's your big ask right now? The big thing that you want, that you're like really contending for? Because all of us should have one, right? There should be something. You know, you got your normal prayer life, but there's that thing that you've been contending for for a long time. Maybe it's seeing a family member come to Christ. 
Maybe it's, uh, there's, there's people that in, in my life that I know I've been continuing for years for to come to the Lord. But we keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, keep on coming to God. As he said in the parable of the persistent winter, uh, he taught them that so they would not grow weary and, and give up, not to lose heart. And this man just has a crisis. He has a trial and a crisis. So he comes to Jesus. Let me ask you a question. If, if he didn't have that trial or crisis, would he have come to Jesus? Maybe, I don't, I don't know. But what I do know is it was his trial and his crisis that caused him to seek Jesus. There's people in the room that that's your story, right? As well, you were going through something and I, I don't, and in and, and, and that moment, you know, you, you started seeking the Lord. Now, God's always seeking us, technically. That's, that's, that's true. But there's this moment where a lot of times the crises and trials can cause people to, to seek the Lord. And I don't think God can use a trial and a crisis to bring an unbeliever to saving faith, but God can use a trial and crisis to bring a believer to deeper faith. Some of the seasons of most growth in this room have come out of the greatest trials that we've gone through. I, I know that to be true. It's a lot easier to praise God from the mountaintop, but when you're in the valley and you're praising God, character is being built. Your, your relationship with the Lord, there's a depth there that, that um, is taking place. And this guy's trial in crisis, it's never fun or enjoyable, but ultimately, when I know the end of the story, spoiler alert, I know how this ends, it's gonna be the best thing that ever happened to him and his family. Let's keep reading. Verse 48. Then uh, Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. He says, unless you people. So he's not just talking directly to the guy. He's talking, there's a crowd there and there's people. And he's like basically kind of making a general statement. Unless you see signs and wonders, you're not going to believe. For these people seeing was believing. They, they wanted to, to see the miracles. But here's the thing. We've been called to walk by faith and not by sight. I think uh, we talked about that in growth groups uh, a week or two ago about those miracles are great and it's like they should increase our faith. But that's not what we're seeking. Remember somebody said once, we don't follow after signs and wonders. Signs and wonders follow us, the people of God. That's not, that's not what our, our main objective is to see those things as we're walking and, 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 and stepping out of our comfort zone and just following the Lord wholeheartedly, God's gonna move sometimes in miraculous ways and they follow our actions. But these, it sounds like these people were more focused on what Jesus could do rather than who Jesus was. And there's that big question that at some point in every single one of our lives we have to answer. Every person will have to answer, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Peter said, you're the Christ, the son. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Thomas in John chapter 20, verse 28 and 29 said this, my Lord and my God. 
I like that. Not just the Lord and the, you know, the God. He's my Lord and my God. He, he made it personal. And he, he, he saw the risen Lord in context here. Remember, Jesus is like revealing himself to, to Thomas. And he's like, okay, I believe now. But most of us in this room haven't had that benefit to see Jesus in the way that Thomas saw him in that moment. So Jesus says this statement. Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me, yet have believed. Do we have any believers in this room? Can I tell you something? You're blessed. You're blessed. Jesus said, you are blessed. And you are. What a blessing to, 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 to have that revealed uh, to you, that Jesus Christ is the... the, the uh, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, Lord of all. Verse 49, the nobleman said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. I love this because Jesus basically just said, hey, unless you guys see signs and wonders, you're not gonna be happy. And this guy's like, okay, but still, come see, come heal my son. That's a desperate parent, right? That's how we should all be. It's like, this guy's, he's relentless. He's not giving up. This is a desperate cry from a desperate parent. And Jesus' response might surprise you. It's the same as the Syrophoenician woman that we read in there, where it says she kept crying out. She was coming after him. Remember the disciples were like, tell this lady to go away. But we don't think of it in those terms because we think, oh, say that request once. God heard it. Answer prayer. And it's like, wait a minute. You know, if somebody might think, that's not cool. Why is Jesus making her keep crying out? He heard her. Why did he make her keep crying out? And here this guy keeps asking. He's continuing asking. Why didn't he just do it the first time? I don't know. I'm not God. You can ask when you get there, okay? So, but, but he, he had a reason and a purpose. And, and here he says this. Jesus said to him in verse 50, go your way, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went his way. Let me make sure I clarify something. His answer was no, technically. But I'll still heal your son. Did you, did you catch that? Jesus, come with me. They're in Cana. Come with me. My son's in Capernaum. Come on this 20-mile journey with me through the desert Come there, get there, and I know you're going to be able to heal my son when you get there. And Jesus says, no. I'm not going. But I'll heal your son. And here's the point in this. God will do his will the way he wills. God will do his will the way he wills. This man wanted his son healed. He got that, but he wanted to tell God how to do it. I've been there, right? God, this is what I need, and this is how I want you to do it. And in the end, sometimes God will, like the road or map looks like this. I still got my answer to prayer, but it looked nothing like the way that I thought it was going to look. Let me ask you a question. There's two, there's two basic ways. I mean, there's more than that, but for the most part, there's two ways that Jesus could have answered this guy's request. Option one, he says, yes, go with me on this journey. Okay, let's go. Depending on the time of day, usually they're not going to travel at night, right? So, we don't, you know, there's debate on what, what exactly time, but we don't know exactly what time, you know, 16 to 20 miles through the desert. They don't have roads. We're probably looking at like a half a day to a day journey. 
If it was late, okay, we'll leave in the morning. If not, maybe we'll go halfway, stop somewhere. You know, who knows? But realistically, by the time that Jesus left there, goes on this 20-mile journey, and gets to the, to the son's house, we're probably looking at at least, let's say, 24 hours. Half a day to 24 hours. Meanwhile, his son is laying there suffering at the point of death. Mom's probably there. Grandparents, everybody's sitting there watching. And if you've ever had a child that you've seen or been part of when your, your, your child is sick or just you feel so vulnerable and you can't do anything and it just breaks your heart. Imagine what this mom's going through and just hours and hours and another day of having to go through that and then getting healed. That was the guy's plan. That was option one. Jesus said, I don't like that plan. Your son's healed, go. Instant healing. Boy probably sat up. Today's generation, it'd be, can I play at my Xbox right now or something? Snack, you know, he would just sat up. He's, he's, he's fine, fever left and he was good. What option is better? Option two, right? Instant healing. In this man's man, in this man's mind, he wasn't even thinking of that. That didn't even gone through his mind. He didn't even think that was a possibility. Which brings me to my verse that we started today with. Now, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. That's the story right here. This, this man didn't even think that that was a possibility that Jesus was going to just, you know, heal his son right there from, at, at, from that location. He wasn't even, he didn't even, wasn't even in his mind. God's plans are better. God's plans are better. And this guy got more than he could think or ask for. He didn't even ask for that. Which is why today's message is called Jesus is able. Because he's able. He's able to move in every situation right now that you're going through. Every moment, every crisis, every trial. Jesus is able to move in that situation in ways that are better than you think or imagine, exceedingly abundantly above. So he believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, so he believes the promise, and it says he, he went his way. See, the Christian life isn't just about believing in God, but it's about believing God. He believed, Abraham believed. Remember it said that, that one of my favorite verses is Romans 4, 20 and 21. It says, no unbelief, that's Abraham, made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith and he gave glory to God. And then this line, verse 21, fully convinced, there it is again, that God was able. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. Are you fully convinced? That should be, our, our faith needs to arrive to that. So when we have these promises that we're fully convinced that God can do and God will do what he has promised. And we all live in that tension between having a promise that we've been given to seeing the fulfillment. 
Every single room, person in this room has that. I know, because we have this promise that Jesus is coming back. 100% certain that he's coming back. But we wait in that, we wait in faith to see that promise fulfilled. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Assurance and conviction are at the center of every Christian's life. And we have that, especially as we're, we're looking to uh, Jesus' return. Assurance and conviction. But we wait. Verse 51 says, as he was going down, his servants met him saying, your son lives. You know what this is? This is a praise report. So I was reading this, I'm like, what am I going to teach from that, that verse there? And I'm like, that was a praise report. They ran out, they said, they, and, and to, to meet him, and they said, hey, your son lives. They, they could have waited. They were excited to share what God has done. And I want to encourage every single person in this room, praise reports never get old. We love to hear what God is doing in your growth groups and, and different things. The worst thing that could possibly happen is if you have somebody, you're going in for a job interview, you need favor, you have everybody praying, you get the job and you don't even tell anybody. It's like, like six months later, you're like, oh yeah, I got that new job. It's like, oh, you got that job? We didn't even know. You're ripping God off of glory and you're ripping us off because we want our faith to increase. Praise reports. These people couldn't wait. They ran out and, and, and told the guy, hey, look, your son lives. Then he inquired him the hour when he got better. And Jesus said, uh, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that that was the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he believed, he himself believed in his whole household. This again was the second sign Jesus did when he came out of Judea in the Galilee. I love that line where it says, he himself believed in his whole household. Because remember, in, in, I think it was in verse 50, it said that he believed the word of Jesus. Then he sees the promise answered, and it says, and he believed. See, faith is meant to grow. Just these levels of belief that we keep believing more and more. You should believe more now brothers and sisters, than you did when you were first saved. Your, your faith should have be, be growing. It's, a, it's not a static thing. Our faith continues to grow this depth and, and understanding and trust. You should trust God more than you did 10 years ago. Because the, the, the Christian life is about growth. Growing in grace and knowledge of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we're doing that and growing It, it's, it's glorifying to God because as our faith grows, um, we become more, that much more, the men and women of, of faith and belief and trust that God has called us. God gets glory when, when, when people, I don't know about you, but when I've seen people who are going through a crisis or a really tough time, and you're like, wow, I couldn't imagine it. And you just see them holding on to, to the Lord as their rock. How encouraging is that to you? You're, you're, you're sad and you're, it's frustrating because you see them going through the situation and it breaks your heart. But it's like, I don't know if I can handle that. And you just see this person's faith just shine in this moment of trial or crisis. God gets glory and honor 
from that. And this man's belief is growing. And here's what's great. Remember I told you uh, uh, at the end of this story, I knew how it ended. Well, it says he himself believed in his whole household. Not this crisis didn't just lead to this man believing, his whole family, his whole household believed. How awesome is that? See, trials, if I can get the worship team to come up, we're going to go ahead and, um, and close. But I was thinking trials and crises, nobody, nobody wants them. I think that's why when we read that verse in James where it says, you know, count it all joy, right? It's like, yeah, really? It's like, doesn't mean that we enjoy the trial or the crisis, but we know that God is doing something and working something. And when we come through on the other end, our faith is stronger. Our character is stronger. And I think God is more worried I don't want to say worried. Let me rewind the tape. Take that off. God's not worried about anything. God is more uh, interested. Thank you. That's a better word. Interested in our character than he is our comfort. He's not worried about how comfortable we are. He's worried about chipping away on us and molding us into the, uh, the men and women of God that we've been called to, to, to that image of his son that he's trying to create in each of us. And this man here, this crisis, I'm gonna suggest was probably the best thing that ever happened to him and his family. Because it seems like they all came to the Lord through this. Let's, let's close. Lord, we, we, we thank you, God, uh, for your, your grace and your mercy, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you are able to do exceedingly above all that we ask or think. God, and I, Lord, I know that there's a lot of needs in this room right now. Even as Pastor Paul was saying that there's people right now maybe even going through crises and trials. Lord, I pray that in this moment their faith would just rise and recognize, Jesus, that you are able. You are able. You're always there. Never leave us. Never forsake us, Lord. You're able to, to carry us through the, the, the valleys, and you're there with us on, on the mountaintop, Lord. So I pray that no matter where our faith is this morning in this room, that it would rise, and you'd get glory from that, Lord, that we would be a people who walk in faith, that we would not be a people that just believe in God, but a people who believe the God in which we trust. Every promise, every word, Lord. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to uh, have communion. Here we're going to serve communion um, in a minute. If you have to leave, uh, feel free. But we're, for those who like to remain, uh, the ushers are going to pass out communion, and then we'll take it together uh, in a moment. Glory took on flesh to save.
that Jesus betrayed, he took bread, which this wafer symbolizes, and he broke it. And he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. So as we take and eat this wafer, let's remember the body of Jesus Christ. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember the body of Jesus that suffered for us. that was mistreated for us, that took upon all our shame and guilt on the cross. Let's, let's remember the body of Christ. Go ahead and partake. And then after supper was ended, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. So as we take this this cup, let's remember the blood of Jesus that was poured out for each and every single one of us that washes us white as snow, cleanses us, that we could stand here today righteous because of what he did for us on the cross. Go ahead and partake.
one name over everything. Mom, let's declare this. Over death and all sin, over hell, over the grave, darkness bows, demons flee at the mention of his name, for he reigns on the throne, all praise to him alone, one name over Let's sing that again, over death, we give you praise, over death and all sin, over If you want to be prayed for this morning, God bless you. You're dismissed. Jesus over everything, He reigns forevermore. Our song for all eternity, Jesus Christ. Christ.